All right, guys, welcome to my show, Voice of the Wanderer. I'm your host, Freddie J. Hey, guys, welcome to my podcast today, Voice of the Wanderer. Uh, I'm your host, Freddie J. And with me today, I have Tristan Talarico. Uh, he's a wonderful young man I met a few years ago. Uh, we worked together in the Army National Guard uh, here in Idaho. And so far, he's been a great resource. And I knew he was going to be the perfect candidate for this topic, gun violence. Uh, it's nice to have you, have you here today, bro. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, uh, some of your interests, and... All right. Uh, yeah, my name is Tristan Tallarico. I'm from Moab, Utah. Um, Is I it Moab, Utah? Moab, Utah, yeah. Okay. Um, I've worked as a first responder here in Idaho for a few years now. Um, a firefighter. I also do arson investigations and uh, some other first responder type activities. But I'm also, I've also been working in the gun industry on the side for several years now as well. Gun consulting, and I've also worked in uh, several different gun shops, gunsmithing, that sort of thing. Um, I've done everything from extremely high-end African hunting rifles to tactical uh, equipment and everything in between. Damn, that's pretty That's pretty impressive. And uh, you work for the National Guard also, yes, correct? Yes, I'm also in the National Guard. He has so many jobs. Uh, he's jack, jack of all trades, master of none? <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Maybe master of some. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, so about our topic today, gun violence, uh, gun control or gun violence, we're like we're putting it, the two of them together to talk about it because I feel like they are intertwined. They are like, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. So when we talk about gun control, what comes to your mind? So when I think about gun control, uh, there's kind of two different really big topics that I think about. I think about, you know, what, what we see on the media and then versus what we see in politics. Okay. And, and they're very much intertwined, but two separate things entirely. Okay, so let's talk about gun control. So when I think about gun control, um, I mainly picture politicians, judges, those sort of individuals who are working to kind of find a balance in working with the, both the gun industry and their own personal agendas to kind of make the constituents happy um, and make the media happy, the court of public opinion happy. Um, but it, it's just not working. Uh, right now we haven't found that balance yet what do you what do you think is the motivation for the civil for the politicians trying to limit or trying to control uh, access to weapons and all that stuff and what's the motivation for the civilians for the constituents wanting the politicians their representatives up there to pass those laws what do you think i think it has to do a lot with the media what people see um on their on their televisions i don't really think it has too much to to be you know what what they see in their day-to-day -day lives on average the average person doesn't see a whole lot of gun violence in the u.s in person uh most of what they see is online uh through youtube or through the news through media um and, and then they get kind of opinionated and they go to politicians and demand certain things to happen and that can happen from both sides the left and the right uh usually with current situation there's been a lot of people on the right who will see those Things happen on the media and fear that their constitutional rights will be infringed on and go to their politicians demanding less restrictions on firearms and then the people on the left usually go to the uh, to their politicians demanding that something be done about uh, either the mental health um, awareness or the firearms industry as a whole okay yeah I was just googling this real quick 
because as you were talking, I thought about the constitutional right. So I'm trying to figure out what constitutional right allows U.S. citizens to purchase weapons. What am uh, what amendment? Do you know? It's the Second Amendment. Second so amendment. It, it allows two separate things to uh, be in place. The first is uh, um, a militia, basically. Um, it, it says that the United States has citizens have the ability to organize themselves um, for several different purposes, uh, some political, some defense related. And then it also gives them the right, uh, individual citizens, to obtain firearms and keep them for personal use. And there are several Supreme Court court cases that have outlined uh, the separation of both those two and how, yes, the U.S. public does have the right to purchase possess and maintain firearms um there is one other statement in that uh in that constitutional amendment that has been the hotbed of pretty much all of the debate recently and it says um that the amendment shall not be infringed so what that means in general is uh there's a lot of debate going on right now on whether gun control as a whole is an infringement on the constitution what do you think personally um not speaking from a professional standpoint yeah, of course here, uh i i personally think it's a, an infringement i i think any gun control is bad um you know a lot of people have a bunch of different opinions but from someone who works in the industry uh, i see that the majority of law-abiding people have no intention of using a gun for anything other than what they're entitled to use it for. Uh, you know, keeping themselves safe from criminals, politicians, um, foreign invading armies, hunting purposes, those kind of things. Okay. So uh, a few, like a week ago, I had a presentation for my uh, grad class uh, program assessment. So my task was to evaluate uh, the recent rise uh of homicide in the United States. So homicide, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know what it is, but for our audience, I will define it. So homicide is the is the act of causing the death of, of another person. It could be intentional or unintentional, but killing someone or someone dying because of you, that's a homicide. And when I was doing my research, I came to find out that majority of the homicide that has happened in the United States that is still happening right now is due, a gun was involved. Like someone had a gun and they killed someone. Let's take, for example, what happened recently, maybe not too recently, in the United, uh, University of Idaho, where those students lost their lives. A gunman was involved. Like he had a gun and he he killed those people, you know. And like you said also, there's a lot of opinions about this issue. And definitely we, I try to respect that also because I'm trying to be neutral here also, like trying to get information from you. So my question now is, do you feel like if we're able to get guns off the street, do you think that's going to reduce the amount of deaths, gun-related violence that we have in the society, in your personal opinion? So I'm going to break that down into okay. several different parts here. Perfect. Question. So first you addressed getting guns off the street. Now, there are several different meanings behind that. Uh, do you mean get guns away from criminals, get guns entirely away, like just get all guns away what, what do you mean by that yeah you're right so there are two different aspects like from what i'm tracking recently uh the federal government they are trying to take ban ars they are sort rifles like from everyone and also they are trying to get to 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 stop illegal acquisition of weapons so i would say getting guns off the street i would say controlling 
who can get the weapon when they can get the weapon because we have people who are like sick men- mentally ill individuals they can get weapons also and all that stuff like felons uh for example uh florida i don't know if you're, you're reading the news but florida like a few weeks ago don santis i think that's the governor, yeah, the, governor. Of florida. the governor he passed a bill now anyone can own a weapon in florida anyone so so to answer your question yeah okay so to kind of talk about that uh every state has different regulations on how to obtain a firearm but the majority of people uh who go out and try to commit a crime with a firearm whether you know that's in a homicide a robbery something like that they usually get their firearms illegally and it's usually a handgun there are rarely any instances in the United States where someone is killed with an AR-15 or a rifle in general. Uh, the majority of homicides are committed with a handgun. And in many states, handguns are more restricted. But the issue at hand isn't really uh, individuals getting them from gun stores. That's we, We've already solved that issue in the okay. United States. The, uh, if you're a felon and go into a gun store and wish to purchase a firearm, it's unless the owner of the store is extremely corrupt it's not really possible once they run your name through that background check system it's not going to come back clean and they're going to refuse the sale and probably ask you to leave the store i've done that several times i've had several people come to the store uh either answer on the questionnaire that they've committed a felony or have some other reason to not be in legal possession of a firearm or i run their background check and it comes back negative and i deny the sale and ask them to leave from what I've seen, uh, not only working as a first responder, but also just working in the industry as a whole, is most of the firearms that are used in crimes are stolen firearms. And that's a huge issue in and of itself. So people with mental illness, criminals, if they want a firearm, it's horrifyingly easy to go out and buy a stolen firearm or buy an illegally imported firearm or buy a firearm that's just not supposed to be possessed by the person selling it. Um, and part of the reason behind that is the ATF, which is the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which is the regulating agency behind firearms enforcement, is very lacking in uh, their current drive to track down stolen firearms. They leave a lot of it down to local law enforcement, and especially in areas like Idaho, it's not that big of a priority when we have larger issues at hand. I'll give a personal example here. Uh, while working at a local gun shop, we'd have several different firearms come in pretty much every week where, you know, we, we'd take the firearm in, on trade as a used gun and have someone call us on the phone, you know, hours later and tell us, hey, do you have this firearm with this serial number? Um, and they'll say, hey, it was stolen from my home, my car, whatnot. It even happened to a coworker of mine. He left his gun in his uh, center console of his car, car is broken into. Uh, the police never even showed up to take a report, um, and the the gun ended up coming back into the store that he worked at for sale. Wow. Well, I'm glad they brought it into the store, though, because if they have done something horrible with that weapon, it was going to be a different story entirely. Oh, yeah. So that that'll, that causes a huge stir, yeah. too. In the case that a firearm is used in a crime, usually the ATF does something called trace. So they'll call the manufacturer of the firearm and do a paperwork trail all the way up to the store who sold it and ask who but, the store sold it to. Yeah. And then they'll call the person who they sold it to and ask, did you give it to anybody? Did you sell it? Did you, did you report do, it stolen? Yeah. Did you report it stolen? Um, and, and that's kind of their main method of tracking down these firearms. But 
again, the the issue isn't firearms registration, firearms tracking. It's there's just a lot of guns out there that aren't supposed to be in the people's hands that have them. Um, and firearms theft is a huge issue. Uh, I'll, I'll give another pertinent example. When I worked at this store, we had a rather expensive rifle. Um, it was a, a, a very high-end hunting or kind of long-range rifle. And uh, an individual in Texas bought this gun. We shipped it down to his local gun store. He checked it out from this local gun store, did the, all the background check and everything, but then reversed his credit card. So he still had the firearm. He We never received the payment for okay. the firearm. We contacted local law enforcement, law enforcement in Texas, uh, state law enforcement in Texas, state law enforcement in Idaho, the ATF. No one did anything. So that there, I mean, that's a per perfect example of just a firearm that is out there illegally possessed by an individual who has the intention of doing harm. The authorities were contacted. No one has the intention of doing anything about it. Wow. That's crazy. As you were talking, I, I told you about this, uh, a scenario that happened, uh, I think sometime January this year. Uh, I just got my iPad for my podcast and I was just going through YouTube and I came, up, came across a YouTube video. And what happened was this young child, a six-year-old child, he took his mom's gun. His mom had has a gun and she didn't store the weapon properly. He took that gun to school and he, he, aimed, he aimed at his teacher and he shot his teacher. Luckily for that teacher, she survived because it was like the bullet hit her arm and all that stuff. I don't know if you heard about that story, like what happened. I, I did hear about this, yeah. So something we have to realize, though, is although these stories are tragic, not only are they preventable, but they're also pretty isolated. They don't happen very often. There are very few times where, uh, you know, th this kind of event occurs. But again, it's also very preventable. And I don't actually think that there needs to be a political motivation for the prevention of uh, that sort of activity. I think the biggest thing that we can do is uh, that's something that needs to change in the firearms culture and the firearms industry. So you look at countries like uh, Switzerland, right? Okay. They, they, there's a lot of civilian firearms. Um, but the training and the firearms culture is entirely different than that that we have in the United States. In the United States, we're very lax on guns. We, we don't, we, they've become so ingrained in our culture that we don't respect them. Uh, we don't have that, uh, that atomosity to them. Um, sometimes they're seen as just common household items which cannot, that should not be how we, view, how we view a gun. <laughs> we can't view it as a piece of furniture. Yeah. You know, you would not treat your car like a, like a toy, right? You wouldn't just drive your car around a, a crowded building. You wouldn't, and you wouldn't wave a gun around a crowded building, right? But in the U.S., we've become sort of desensitized to that. Um, so I, I think something that needs to change in the firearms industry is we need to promote a lot more training safety safe storage and i i don't really think that's up to the politicians to decide what yeah. that sounds like i think that's up to the civilians uh, the, the civilians the people marketing the firearms um that sort of thing uh and, and there's been a lot of a lot of push by politicians to enact that kind of stuff and it's been really half-assed seriously half-assed um one example is uh handgun safety if you buy a handgun from a store, it's required to come with a, 
a little lock, a slide lock. Yeah. There's no requirement to use it. There's no there's no requirement for the store to to tell you how to use it, how to safely store your firearm. It's just expected that you'll know what to do with it. That's true though, because when I bought mine, they didn't tell me nothing. Yeah. I went home and I was like, what's this? I was trying to figure out what that was, you know. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned something about the gun culture. Uh, it's become a norm with people who live in this country. Like, you know, they grew up with weapons. You know, many people, grew, I'm sure you grew up with shooting, like, you know, weapons yeah. and all that stuff. So it's no longer a big deal to you. I mean, I saw a guy the other day and he, I was, I didn't know he had a gun. Like, he's, we've been, we've been friends for a while, you know. I was like, oh, I'm, I want to go shooting. Do you have a gun? He was like, oh, yeah, hell, I have a gun. I'll be right back. He went upstairs and he brought his gun and he was holding it like it was a cheeseburger. You know, he was like, oh, yeah, this toy, this is my toy. And I was like, wow, this is a gun. Because in the military, our training is treat every weapon as if it's loaded. You know, but I guess the gun culture and the, you know, that culture is not there. And I, I think it falls on us, not the government, uh, to actually try to solve this issue. And uh, I don't know, though. Thinking about it, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we have things like TikTok and YouTube. And if you go on there, you'll find countless videos of people in, you know, big cities or whatnot. And they'll, they'll just be flashing their guns around like crazy. And, and that promotes a really toxic culture um, where violence and uh, the improper use of a firearm is displayed openly. Um I don't really know how to the the good answer to solve that. Unfortunately, I, I think it needs to be a push by the civilian populace to take a look and say, what do we want as a people to to display what a firearm is? So I have a a peculiar question. So about mental health. I mean, you worked at a guns a gun shop. So how do you guys know when someone has mental health issues or mentally challenged? And when do you know, how do you know not to sell weapons to them? So there are several different criteria. Uh, the first is a, a, a gun store owner or employee needs to use good judgment, and that's violated very heavily by a lot of a lot of stores. So a lot of stores are profit driven, especially um, big box stores like Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, Walmart. They may not actually be inclined to decline a sale based on looking at a person and judging is this person responsible and i know you're not supposed to judge a book by its covers but you're not selling a book yeah you're you selling a gun gotta use discretion you gotta use discretion and when i when i worked at uh one particular gun store it was a big box retail store i was told on several occasions even though i i looked at this person and said i don't think this person's mentally all there i don't think this is someone who should have a gun uh, i would contact a manager and they'd say a company policy is unless it comes back denied, sell them a gun. Wow. And, you know, uh, there's a few other things that need to happen as well. Um, there needs to be better documentation of mental health. Uh, so, you know, things like HIPAA come into uh, yeah. come into play when you talk about that. But when a person is declared, you know, not mentally well, there needs to be a way to access that information for firearm sellers. But that doesn't even that doesn't cover a lot of the private sales of a firearm. Um, if, if, if I deny a sale at a gun store uh, that I'm working at, I, you know, that person can go online and buy it from someone else and buy it from someone else. Um, 
and you know then it's up to that person to use discretion i'm not saying that that's in particular a bad thing but there needs to be something there i agree though and because of hyper it it it, it regulates that information it doesn't let that information get out to other people to know that hey this person is bipolar or this person has schizophrenia and there's a reason why you shouldn't send a weapon to these people so i i actually agree though so about uh gun sales like when you go to the store like when i went to the store to buy my weapon i went through like series of background checks and all that stuff first of all they wanted to make sure i was a u.s citizen and all that stuff make sure i'm not on a visa you know and they did like my criminal history and all that crap and finally i got my weapon so my question is when i wanted to sell one of my weapons like i went through a website and i have like a, they had like a bill of sale stuff that you could print out and it has like some series of questions that are you a felon and all that stuff all this the person coming to buy the weapon all he has to do is like agree and say yes i'm not a felon and whatever and just take the weapon there's no background check there's no way for me to check these people yeah and that's ingrained in again that culture that a gun is a gun when, when I'll, I'll make an example here when you sell a car you can't just give somebody a car they have to go to the dmv they have to provide paperwork right yeah in a lot of other states, uh, they, they do something I like, and, and this is going to be very politically controversial. And I of know course. there's going to be some people yeah. on this podcast that do not agree with what I'm about to say. But I believe that when you sell a gun, you should have to go into a gun store and both parties do an exchange and they go through the background check. And many gun stores will allow that. Though if you went into the gun store I used to work at and you wanted to sell someone else a gun, you just fill out the paperwork. They run the background check like they were just selling a gun, and they could check to see if that person's legitimate. So they could help you handle the transaction? Yes, and then they keep the record on file in case there ever comes to be an issue. Yeah, like a crime committee with that weapon and all that yes. stuff. Okay, that makes sense. So I'm going to uh, ask you some of the questions I have in here so we can have a more constructive uh, conversation. So... Uh, how do you think we can address the issue of gun violence in areas with high rates of poverty and crime? That's a very good kind of uh, starting point on where we talk about gun violence. We see a ton of gun violence in areas like uh, Stockton, California, Oakland, California, Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, areas with really low, you know, really high crime. Yeah. And uh, something we see is, again, a lot of the firearms used in those crimes are stolen. They're not actually bought legitimately. Um, they're smuggled into those areas uh, from usually the suburbs where they were stolen. Um, bro- houses broken into, cars broken into, and uh, there's no desire for a lot of law enforcement agencies to spend the time and resources tracking yeah. down those firearms. Um, I don't in particularly think that making weapons impossible to get in those areas is a, a good alternative because the criminals aren't going to follow those laws. They're going to still get illegal guns, still cause shootings, still call, make crime. I think a big solution that we can have is, again, changing that gun culture uh, to the point where we tell law-abiding people, you know, people like you and me, that if you want to protect yourself, do it legitimately. Go to a gun store buy a gun for yourself and then you're no longer a victim you have the potential to fight back against crime gangs uh that kind of thing and that's hard because you're, you're telling you're telling the general public 
hey, we're, you know, that that's someone telling people to have a gunfight in the street. But, you know, sometimes sacrifices have to be made. And, you know, if, if you know, a woman walking down the street needs to shoot somebody to prevent being robbed or raped, that's good in my opinion. You know, it, I, I think that an armed and responsible person having the capacity to defend themselves prevents a lot of crime. I, I know for a fact that even producing a firearm can stop a crime. A, a crime. When I yeah. worked private security, there were several instances in which I produced a firearm but didn't fire it, and the situation ended right there. I agree. So as you were talking, uh, I just remembered something I saw a few days ago. Uh, you know 50 Cent? Yes. So he reposted an article. And what happened was, this is crazy. So, you know, we have like Domino's Peter. Yes. For example. So this pizza delivery service, they delivered the pizza to the wrong house. Then, like they delivered the pizza to the wrong house. And the, the person who ordered the pizza was a neighbor of that person. That person found out. And at the end of the day, he ended up in like gunfight. Because of a freaking pizza. Yeah. In instances like that, we need to take a look at state laws and say this was obviously not a justified use of self-defense. And the person who used that firearm illegitimately um, as an aggressor needs to be prosecuted. Um, I don't really know uh, how we're supposed to cover that entirely as as a culture but we could look at these individual cases you know and have a judge make the decision on whether okay. this was a justifiable use of force and i i think any reasonable judge will say no, yeah that, no it's not it's a, a pizza yeah, it's a pizza <laughs> no one deserves to get shot over a pizza are you are you familiar with what happened uh, a while ago maybe like within the last year where these uh Pocatello police officers got shot when they arrived at the scene uh where the assailant had an assault rifle. So I have first-hand information that the, the police department, like at least in Pocatello, their vest, the plate they have in there is not built to handle, it's, it's built to handle like a certain caliber of rounds. So whenever they are going to a, a situation where they know that, oh, there's, this person has a gun or this person has a certain kind of gun, they have to switch plates. Because when they patrol, normally they have the regular like, you know, plate which could handle like a nine millimeter like a revolver and all that stuff so when they got up when they got to this scene this 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 person opened fire on the officers and gladly i'm happy like they didn't die i mean they went to the hospital and all that stuff and they are back on their feet right now so this was a gun violence done by an assault rifle but mind you i'm not in support of i'm not in support of a ghost banning assault rifles but I'm trying to present scenarios of gun violence so we can see how we can try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So you mentioned trying to make sure it doesn't happen again. But what you got to realize is this this has happened like once. All the other gunfights Pocatello police have been in have involved handguns, mostly. Um, we, we can't really look at one instance and say that's the normal. And I think that's a big problem that we have in society is we look at, we fixate on certain guns. And I blame a lot of media and whatnot, um, you know, just because it was an AR-15 that was used in the commission of a crime doesn't mean that all crimes are committed with AR-15s. That is true. That is very, very true. 
And also, uh, I was thinking because I was in, I was born in a third world country. Uh, in my country, Nigeria, where I was born in, uh, we don't have a lot of guns. So because of that, we have a lot of burglary. People, they rob you, they come to your home, they rob you, and they go scot-free. I was thinking about it. I was like, if we had enough guns, if every house had, a, had at least a gun, anyone going to rob you is going to think twice. They know that, oh, I might not come back alive if I go rob this house. The dad or the mom or even the kids, they, they know how to shoot. They will shoot me and I will die. You know, so I, I thought about that also. But thinking about it also, I'm trying to weigh the balance it up. America, according to statistics, has the highest guns in the whole world owned by adult civilians. So in other words, when I think about it, like we were talking about this previously, like before we started the podcast, if the U.S. military fails to defend America, these citizens will <laughs> because we have enough guns to form a militia. We have more guns, probably more than the military itself. And they will shoot and they will defend their land and defend their family and all that stuff, which is good. But what blows my mind is that gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. So my question is like, is it that is it we have too many guns? Is that the issue? We have too much access to guns. I know we have illegal way of getting weapons also, like, you know, off the street and all that stuff. But right now, it just seems like this street is flooded with too many guns. Anyone can access a gun and they can kill someone. And that's not cool. So, although that is true, there are, uh, again, there's tons of ways to get a gun. If I wanted to right now, I could go to a hardware store and build a gun. It's not that hard. There are man, you can Google how to build a gun okay. and learn immediately. <laughs> I, I've, I've I've seen it working at a gun store. I, I've seen you can make like a local gun and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, like it, shoot. it's extremely easy. Um, if I wanted to kill somebody with a gun, which he wouldn't though. I, well, I wouldn't. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it, it, it's it's horrifyingly easy. I, I wouldn't have to actually go and buy one. Um, you know, it's the same way that if I wanted to kill somebody with a knife, I could do it too. Yeah. Probably just as easily. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's also, I, I think it has a lot, a lot to do with our criminal justice system as well. We're allowing people who have multiple convictions uh, to still walk the streets. Um, a common theme that I'm seeing in a lot of uh, a lot of shootings and a lot of crime and a lot of you know inner city violence is it's committed by people who have committed crimes of serious in nature past. in the past. Uh, an example is there was recently a police officer killed by an individual down in the San Bernardino um, or near San Bernardino, California, Riverside County. Um, and this individual had previous charges for kidnapping, you know, assault all kinds of he had a slew of criminal charges and was currently on probation and yet he was not he he'd never got you know life in prison never got the death penalty nothing he just he was able to you know within a few years he got a slap just, on the wrist he got a slap on the wrist and was sent back out on the streets and we see that all the time in Pocatello as well you have individuals here who are convicted of serious crimes and yet just allowed to go free um Again, it, it comes down to the justice system. How do we balance, you know, the heavy hand with the ability to rehabilitate people? And I think we need to look at our culture in the United States and say, what is really acceptable for us to accept to let a person go back into society and what is not? 
And right now, there's a lot that we just let slide. Uh, we have tons of problems with hard drugs, tons of problems with uh, assault, sexual assault, robbery, where we just let these people go. They don't have a lot of these problems in other countries. Um, look at Norway, for instance. When an individual commits a serious crime, uh, they may not get a heavy sentence, but there is an insurance that they will not go out and re-commit a crime. This is because they, they actually work to rehabilitate a criminal, yeah. force them to get a job, force them to get a degree, force them to get an education before they even leave the jail, leave the prison. And I... I don't think that the, the way we do the criminal justice system here in the United States works very well. Taking, you know, hundreds of thousands of convicted felons and locking them up in a box in the middle of the desert is only going to—we're we're not rehabilitating them. We're just locking them in a box, making, them the, making the problem go away. Yeah. And so the moment they, they come back out, you know, after the two years that they get for some heinous crime, they're just going to do it again. So I, I think we need to find a balance between— there needs to be a cutoff where we say this is not acceptable in our society and you need to be removed through our, from a society through you know heavy prison sentences or the death penalty. And then there needs to be a point where we say this, this is acceptable. We can fix you. And then we have processes to ensure that that individual is fixed and not just let loose on society. Yeah, I agree, though. So about the issue I talked about a while ago where this mom, the mother of this boy, left her weapon... Uh, unkept like she didn't secure the weapon and this dude this this child used the weapon to shoot his teacher she got a misdemeanor and that's a slap on the wrist which is like i think six months jail time or up to one thousand dollars fine at least in idaho that's what the misdemeanor is but i just felt like that was a slap on the wrist because someone could have died because of her mistake allowing a child to access a firearm should be a serious crime yeah or at least not teaching the child the respect for what is in the household. Uh, if there's a firearm in the household and you need to teach your children respect for that thing, you need, you need to do that. And a failure in parenting should never be an excuse for someone to get seriously hurt or injured. And I think that goes all the way from infants to, to adults. Um, yeah, that, that mother should have had a much stiffer sentence, a much stiffer crime. I agree. So I'm about to, I want to ask a more, uh, a more direct question. So let's compare these two weapons. We have the AR and we have the regular pistol or the nine millimeter or revolver or whatever, like the small guns. Why do you think they are trying to ban, the government is trying to ban the assault rifle? So I think there are two, two areas as to why. The first is the media. The media loves to attack the R-15. It looks big and scary and deadly and yes i guess you could use it for that but i could use any other weapon to do that I, I i've heard from tons of specially trained individuals that tell me that if they just got a normal hunting rifle and sat up on top of a mountain they could do 10 times the damage kill 10 times the people that some random guy with an ar-15 could do running around on the streets um and then I also think there is there is a political motivation to take firearms away from people uh, because when the civilians have guns, especially in the amounts that they do in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, which are the three largest states for gun ownership, um, politicians don't have a lot of power. If they suddenly wanted to start taking money from people, 
people fed back. beating people in the streets or something like that. Yeah, it's really easy to fight back when you're armed. We see that in China, right? Uh, you know, you look at the uh, Tiananmen Square massacre of 1989, and you know, hundreds of people, possibly thousands, there are no direct numbers, were gunned down by the Chinese military in the streets of Tiananmen Square. What if certain individuals in that crowd had guns and shot back? You know, they might have had a revolution. The reverse would be the case. Yeah, the reverse would be the case. The government would be the one getting crushed, not the people. Okay. I think that's a that's a good perspective also. Although, like, it's we are hoping that we never it never comes to that. You know. Well, yeah, but the the founding father. (laughs) You you got to look at when the Second Amendment was written. The founding fathers had just crushed a tyrannical government with guns. If they didn't have guns, then maybe the Revolutionary War wouldn't have been won. That's true. Okay. So do you believe that strict gun control laws will be effective in reducing gun violence? If so, what specific measures do you think should be implemented? So I I think we can implement different types of gun control. Right now we're looking at just banning specific types of guns. And again, I don't think that does anything. I think we need to look at who can own a gun. Um, right now we need to reevaluate the mental health system, like I said before, in say who of these people can own a gun, who can't. Okay. Um, but I also believe that there needs to be a, a much stricter uh, enforcement by the criminal justice system and law enforcement to go after illegal firearms. So people who shouldn't have guns, it should be very hard for them to obtain a stolen firearm. When, it, when a gun gets stolen from somebody's house, there is, like I said, no no measure to go out and arrest the person who, who stole it. Um, usually, the only reason that they'll get charged with a crime, if they're found with it, is by convenience. You know, officer on a traffic stop spots it or something like that. Um, so right now, I, I, I think the specific gun control measures that would work really well are uh, the enforcement of stolen firearms. So if you're found in possession of a stolen firearm, it should be a much stiffer sentence. There should be a lot more regulation by agencies like the ATF to go out and find uh, stolen firearms um, and then prohibited persons from possessing firearms. I agree. So like in in a military base or in a military installation, when a a weapon gets missing, it's a huge issue. Like they even try to shut down the whole base just to find that one rifle that's missing. So I'm, I kind of wonder, I'm like, if the military can take it that seriously, then why is the civilian side not treating it seriously? Uh, again, it comes down to a lot of political motivations. There's a ton of emphasis on trying to get things like drugs off the street. Um, but I don't know. There's just no... The, the law enforcement, especially in areas like Idaho, has generally no drive to go out and find stolen firearms. Um and I just don't have a clear answer as to why working in yeah. the industry for so long uh, it, it's very frustrating when we had items stolen from the store or we had shoplifters that had walked off with important items or ammunition or firearms uh, the, there's nothing done to go and retrieve those items okay so I have a I have one last question for you so the question goes like this how can we better address the intersection of gun violence and other social issues such as domestic violence, racial discrimination, and police brutality. 
we're trying to link this back to guns and gun violence how do you think we can limit or address this issue like domestic violence you have people using guns i'll give you an example this was politically motivated this happened before the inauguration of the current president uh the dad is uh is a trump supporter his wife the mom she's a biden supporter and the kids also so they didn't agree with him and he he wasn't happy about it so he took his weapon and he shot his wife fatally he killed her on the spot he shot his daughter also he shot their dog his daughter survived she told the story to the media what happened so this was like a political imbalance in that house and all that stuff so in other words it, it goes down to domestic violence also you know using a gun in a household and all that stuff how do you think we can i know we talked much about this already how do you think we can limit that from happening even police brutality and so, all that stuff domestic violence is one of the largest issues in the united states in i have no clue even with my formal education in public health and emergency management homeland security i have no clue how to address the the domestic violence issues in the united states i think it has a lot to come down to uh mental health yeah once again so our, our, i think our mental health infrastructure needs to be completely rebuilt from the ground up um and then there, there needs to be a lot stricter policies on uh, domestic violence i know tons of you know women who have endured uh, domestic violence or men even who have endured domestic violence and their spouses are or you know significant others are just left with them there's no drive from law enforcement to remove that individual from the household yeah uh and there is there are clear warning signs that happen before that i know that i, I don't know them specifically and then to address the uh, ideas of police brutality and the issues with law enforcement um i i think the quality of training that law enforcement need to get especially to deal with issues like domestic violence uh needs to be completely reworked in the United States, uh, a lot of the police academies are, you know, six weeks to six months long. It varies state to state. That's the lowest pretty much in the world. I, I know um, I, I, I've actually had the privilege to talk to a Nigerian police officer before. I think he was an inspector or something like that. Nice. Who um, told me that his education was two years long. Uh I, I've had the privilege to talk to multiple Italian police officers and German police officers. The German police officer I had the privilege to talk to, who's the equivalent to a captain, had, you know, uh, again, it was two years of formal training and then another year of on-the-job training before he even so much as dealt with a situation by himself. In the U.S., we, we seem to like the idea of quantity over quality. We like yeah. to have more police but we're not too concerned on how great those cops are. Um, I can't in particular speak on the law enforcement in this area because I work as a first responder in this area, uh, but in other areas I've been to, I know for a fact that many of the law enforcement um, were not trained to, to standard and simply saw the job as a go-to-work, collect-a-paycheck-go-home type yeah. of thing. Uh, we looked at... Uh, one of the recent tragedies that happened in the United States where multiple police beat a, uh, a guy to death in the streets. And I don't have the exact name of that incident, but I know for a fact that that law enforcement agency did not have the quality of training or the quality of supervision 
that many other ones did. Um, I had the privilege of being a volunteer for a law enforcement agency that was several times regarded as one of the best in the world. And their academy was uh, still even six months long. Uh, their probationary stage two years long. A lot of really strict policies, but they were also politically hindered. Um, so one thing that the officers were pushing for really badly was uh, body-worn cameras. Uh, the pol politicians did not want the officers to have body-worn cameras because they wanted to convict officers, and instead the cameras were being used to show that the officers were doing the right thing. Yeah, I think law enforcement needs to be one of those industries that uh, is very out in the open. Transparent. Transparent. I, I don't think there should be anything hidden from the public. You know, you look at a lot of really great law enforcement agencies around the world, like uh, uh, the German Bundespolizei or the, um, you know, the French police, which is kind of the founder of Western police, or um, the Italian Carbonari. But they are, you know, their, their standards, their transparency, their openness, and their ability to bring the public into their sphere is so much greater than in the United States. And then what I would consider to be the pinnacle of law enforcement uh, is actually the Tokyo police in Japan. They've, th their level of transparency and their level of public integration and using the public as a stakeholder instead of an adversary is the greatest in the world. Um, I've never had the privilege of speaking with a uh, Japanese police officer, but I did have the privilege of speaking with a Japanese emergency manager. And, uh, you know, bringing it back to gun violence yeah. or just any violence in general, I think that if you have the police and the government viewing the civilians as the same thing as them, then I think we're going to have a lot less issues. I'll, I'll give a specific example here. The basis of the Japanese police is uh, the idea of the koban, which means police box. Um, these police boxes are pretty much in every neighborhood, and they could be anything from like one officer to 20 officers. Uh, in this officer knows every single person in his neighborhood. He knows where they live. He knows where, uh, what they do for work, and he knows the problems they're having. And he, he talks to them on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Why do we not do that here in the United States? Why, why does every police officer, you know, not know every person in their beat and know when they're having mental health problems and when they're not being normal and when stuff's not working? Yeah. Why do we not do that? No, I think a, a lot of the gun, gun control issues would be solved if we were just way more open with our law enforcement and our law enforcement was way more involved in our life, and not in an um, enforcement way, but just at seeing them as a normal person. I've heard uh, Japanese police be described as mailmen. You could go and talk to them. You see them every day. So they are approachable. They're approachable which I think is the best quality for a police officer. And I think if we had approachable police in the United States, it would solve a lot of the gun control. So see, seeing have. the police as your friend and not just your enemy or, you know, because I know in neighborhoods like Brooklyn, New York, when the, when the police shows up, everyone is running. Because yeah. whether you're doing something wrong or not, you're running because you feel like that police officer is the enemy that you have to run from. So I think like if I caveat of what you're saying, I feel like maybe building that community, you know, policing relationship with the civilians also that they are protecting i think that helps that goes a long way in like you know reducing gun violence also you know 
And also, uh, we'll, we'll join the cutting here today uh, for this topic, gun violence. And definitely, we're going to have questions from the viewers. And, you know, we're going to come back and try to answer their questions and all that stuff. It's, a, it's an interesting and touchy topic also for people. Oh, extremely. And uh, it's very, very political, you know. So, but, uh, like I like to say, uh, guns don't kill people. That's what cute daughters do. I'm joking. Guns don't kill people, but people kill people. You know, like someone has to operate that weapon to shoot someone. The gun is not just going to shoot itself. You know, so I like to see that way. Well, it was nice to have you here today. And uh, I hope uh, in the future we'll have you here in the studio again to talk more about this. And uh, I, I had fun. I had a great time. Yeah, it's been and, great. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah.